2: The Field to 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah
3: Vince! Looking to go back toward to Bell, they get it to a mere corner, three knocks it down!
2: Chris Bell, the sharpshooter! Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 315.
3: Up top, Williams surges ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty
2: up-and-under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gdamowicz. Welcome back. Red is the new orange, Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gdamowicz. We are ready to spew Hellfire and Brimstone because Syracuse lost to Boston College in a fashion that the Orange just totally shouldn't have. 80-75 to 75 was the final. Uh, we've got a bone to pick with the SU defense. After that, we'll be joined by Christian O'Jackson to preview Wake Forest this upcoming Saturday. A 7.45 tip down in Winston-Salem against the Demon Deeks. First and foremost, Johnny, how you feeling?
3: All right, Ian, I just had a fantastic Italian dinner to power me through this podcast. So that was good.
4: It's but as far
3: good. as Syracuse basketball goes, I'm not feeling too good. I'm not feeling too good at all for a lot of reasons. First, this is the kind of loss that, sorry, Orange fans, kind of puts a pin in your season, right? Like there's a reason Boston College had not beaten Syracuse since 2018. I don't want to hear about the fact that it was on the road this is a game that if you're legit and you mean business, it doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to pass the test with flying colors, but you got to walk out of Conti Forum with a W. And the fact that that failed to happen is really, really concerning.
2: It's only a quad two loss because, again, the middle of the ACC, as we talked about, is so closely packed together in the net and Ken Palm that, metrically, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. But the eye test never lies. And at the beginning of the game, BC again was turning the ball over like it was a hot potato. BC again had 21 turnovers, and Syracuse had 18 points off of those turnovers. In the first game, that was a recipe for success, and the SU defense held up well enough. On Tuesday, they had no interest, no interest whatsoever in playing defense. That starts with Judah Mintz and Malik Brown, who both got two fouls in the first half, had to go sit. BC went on a massive run. Syracuse didn't score for like the past three minutes. And after an 18-2 run, Cuse was up 20-11. to Brown picks up that second foul at about the five-minute mark. BC goes on a 14-0 run to end the first half. Yes, JJ Starling banged his head, left the game, came back. But you got to have someone on the floor who can put the ball in the basket. Even if you don't. You're up 9. You got to have someone on the floor that can stop a BC team that is not offensively proficient. What happened to Peter Carey? Playing defense Against big guys. Didn't happen. Chris Bell, again. Justin Taylor. Nowhere to be found. On the defensive end of the floor, this was a complete catastrophe. In the first half alone. We don't even need to talk about the second half. Johnny, I'll kind of close my rant down with this. Reading the Syracuse blogs and the media sphere after this game. There was a lot of talk that Syracuse survived the first half run and that they were still in position to, to win the game when the second half started. How
3: about you never put yourself in that position to begin with? I, I never felt that
2: way because coming, come, going into halftime. Well, it was close.
3: Yeah, I, I know. You were know down seven saying.
2: going into yeah. halftime and then you never got the lead
3: back. Right. It's difficult to play a full 20 from behind. And, again, if you clean some things up in the first half and you show an inch of effort on the defensive end, you don't have to dig yourself out of that hole. We should give credit where credit is due, Ian, at Boston College because another game where Syracuse, for the most part, contains Quentin Post, right? He only took five shots. He had seven turnovers, up. and he,
2: he was pissed off again yeah. the court.
3: Yeah, it was the second time this year that Post wasn't really having his way against the Cuse. And B.C., despite that, still found a way to win the basketball game. McLaughlin with 15. Zachary with 15. Neither of them were great from downtown, but they still found ways to be productive and, and pour in numbers on the offensive end.
2: The and real the real dagger was Harris. Claude L. Harris, Harris. As well, yep. Right when Syracuse had a little bit of a spark, both teams opened up the floodgates in the last 10 minutes. No one really felt like playing defense anymore syracuse started scoring but then harris hit about four threes and six possessions yep and yeah the game was over you you can't deal with that especially when you can't shoot to 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 respond right look at kentucky look at look at alabama you can play bad defense if you're going to score with your opponent but if you're not going to score with your opponent and you can't you can't trade threes for twos and a good luck. And this is where I'll get
3: after the Orange a little bit in that, you know, they've kind of been able to figure it out without being a shooting team and gotten by when you consider the fact that they're just not great from downtown. And I think part of that's college basketball as a whole, right? Like there's a way to be successful in college hoops if you're not a great three pointing team. Whereas in the NBA, if you can't knock down the three, you're it's playing defense.
2: Scrabble. If you can't right. shoot threes, you play defense.
3: Correct. But I think now we're starting to see that lack of shooting ability kind of rear its ugly head with Syracuse a little bit, right? Um, In in games where the defense is not there and you're letting up points at a pretty consistent clip, like you just painted the picture for us, Ian, you've got to be able to keep pace. And this team just did not do that. I mean, they shot 38% in the first half. They did turn it up, down the stretch, and shoot 56% in the second half. But by that time, it was too little, too late. And then the other issue offensively, which it feels like we've brought up a couple of episodes in a row here now, Ian, is the free throws. 50% at the stripe. Now, granted, they only went to the line 14 times, which is a little bit of a tier lower than how often they've been getting the free throw line on the norm. But that's still a decent chunk of change right there. You leave seven points out on the line in a game where you lost by five, right? So again, just, I, I don't know what the message is from here. It's tough to bounce back from a loss like that, but something's going to have to, going to have to change. And I don't know if that starts with more tenacity on the defensive end or more of a willingness to try new things offensively. Cause I think everybody can tell now this four guard lineup, the, The luster of it has worn off a little bit, right? It's not nearly as appealing as it was when we started to see it. And me and you were all aboard the four-guard lineup train back when McLeod initially went down and Copeland was playing out of his mind. And Benny was at the five and it was all right. It was kind of different. I like this. I think there's enough tape out there now where teams have, you know, realized that they can contain that. Um, So we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see this team is going to have to make some changes moving forward. I think philosophically, even more so than anything else, before you start to talk about X's and O's.
2: Let's give Quidier a little credit. He played well for, for all he could. He played really well, but Syracuse constantly had problems going up against post. He had, he didn't have a block, but the main reason Syracuse didn't get to the free throw line is he He played defense without fouling. He was very good at staying vertical, keeping his hands up, but angling his body to shield Judah away from the basket when he drove. And I don't have a problem with seven misses. Those happen every once in a while. My problem is with the 14 free throws. If you're going to be a team that doesn't shoot, you have to get points from the line. Yep. And Judah completely took himself out of the game By picking – I'm going to keep going back to this, Johnny, because this is the thing that knocks guys out mentally, not only physically but mentally. Two fouls in the first half, especially when you are someone that likes to gamble on defense. Judah picked up one of his fouls after a rebound trying to reach around a guy.
3: A frustration foul, really. 75 feet from the hoop. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And, and, And then you can't drive on the last possession of the first half because you don't want to pick up a charge call. You can't get in front of someone on defense or trail a screen or give someone a hip check later down the stretch in the second half because you don't want to pick up a call. Malik Brown can't contest shots inside, can't bump around there for rebounds because you don't want to pick up a call. And Brown just played hard, and he picked up fouls because big men pick up fouls more than the small guys. Judah picked up a dumb foul. You cannot do that if, A, your entire play style is based on being physical offensively and B, you're the heart and soul of the team.
3: Yeah. And I think some of it too, for Judah in like, even for himself, like forget about the team, forget about Syracuse's success. If this guy Judah Mintz, whose name has been thrown around in NBA draft conversations wants to go on and be successful at the next level. All you got to do is go watch an NBA game for five minutes to figure out, Hey, I'm not really sure how great his game kind of translates over. Right, You don't see a ton of those slasher-type guys, those physical guards, go on to have huge success at the next the, level. The dudes
2: that make a living from a free-throw free perspective are the guys that are great actors, the Chris Pauls right, and, and the James Hardens, and they're already changing the rules to mitigate that.
3: And it feels like, as the years go by, we continue to see less and less of those kind of guys. So for Judah, it would not only benefit himself, To maybe try to create the dribble, create off the dribble a little more, to you know have a little bit of a different mentality as far as where his production is going to come from, because it's becoming predictable. And don't get me wrong, he is really good at being that downhill guard that is going to take you to the rim and get his. But again, similar to my point earlier about the four guard lineup, and the tape and the book is out there on it. I think it's a similar case for him, especially now as you start to see some of these teams for the second time in conference play. They're gonna be more cognizant and familiar with that. They're gonna attack they're gonna him. They're back gonna try off to of, get him to pick up two fouls early. And they're gonna try to what? get him to pick it's up to fouls and
2: they'll try they'll make him shoot. Right. No, no one is scared of Judah Mintz shooting the three. Right. I saw a tweet earlier today from Tom Crean that was actually genius. Um, It was everyone's talking about roster construction with the portal, but all everything that matters is roster versatility, right? You have interchangeable guys that can do different things right now. You only have one dude who's shooting the ball. Well, the end of Tom Crean's tweet said for every one non shooter on your team, you need two that can every Syracuse lineup right now has at least three non-shooters in it. Offensively, that's going to knock you down. You just won't be a team that flows well. The ball can move as much as you want it to, but you're never going to get as many drives if people aren't out there contesting and having to follow the ball from the three-point line outwards. Every Syracuse lineup is hampered by Chris Bell's inconsistencies, two points, And Justin Taylor's lack of aggressiveness offensively, two points, one of two from the field. Bell is 0 for 4, doesn't make either three-point attempt. Taylor doesn't even take a three. You need these guys to shoot. And defensively, you, you just got to figure it out. Yeah. BC just BC just picked them apart from a pick and roll perspective. But offensively, you need to shoot. And, you and it it
3: shoot. looked like BC almost kind of wanted it more. You know, like they, they I don't know they just looked hungry. Like he, the, the, he building looked the building
2: wasn't that big. Building wasn't that full, but they had the crowd mic right next to the student section. They were yeah. yapping at Judah every single chance they got. And I mean, they they were having a great time. The fans that did show up were getting after it
3: does bear mentioning as well, before we shift gears, coming up here to the Demon Deacons, again, Syracuse out-rebounded, and out-rebounded by a rather significant margin, 37-27. to That's going to tip the possession scale in BC's favor rather significantly. And again, this Orange team that has been small, but kind of maybe gotten away with it a little bit, again, you're not going to be able to get away with being as small as they are every single night. And this was just one of those nights where that loomed large.
2: Yeah, the rebounds were more on the defensive side than offensive side. But, again, still- Malik Brown, your leading rebounder, can't be aggressive because he's playing with four fouls. Benny Williams, four foul. Right, we'll just keep going back to you can't on a team like this that even though we say they're deep and it has guys that you need to rely on to play 30 minutes a game, you, you can't pick up bad fouls. And that that really hamstrung the orange down the stretch. All right, enough of this, Johnny. We've been on our soapbox for long enough, and I think it's time to change the energy a bit. So let's bring in Christian O'Jackson to talk a little Steve Forbes and the Demon Deeks after a word from Rob Doster about BetMGM.
5: As you guys know by now, we've partnered.
0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: 158.
2: All right, Johnny and I have regained our clarity. And we have a guest, Christian Jackson, otherwise known as Oge Hoops on Twitter. He's starting to get some big traction because he's tweeting mean things about Memphis, which I think we can all have so laugh at. He also went to Wake Forest, loves Steve Forbes and the Demon Deeks. Somehow, someway, I picked a gold and gray shirt tonight. Uh, this was all coincidental, I promise. But Oge, great to have you on the show. This is kind of like a, a mini college reunion for us all year because Johnny and I have had a bunch of different Syracuse people on the show just because of where they are or where they're from. And it just so happened you spent like a weekend on our couch uh, for, I think, one time our junior year. So everything's coming full circle.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Johnny, crazy how we went from summer league baseball to from Chicago, Brewster, Massachusetts Chicago. to now Chicago for you
3: and my childhood home still for me. So we love to see that. But thanks for hopping on, man. Excited to to talk some Demon Deeks and the Cuse. And, and we'll start with this, Christian. I mean, the last time Syracuse went toe-to-toe with Wake Forest, Jim Boeheim was still the coach. Davian Williamson hit a three-pointer a couple hours later. Jim Bayheim was no longer the coach of Syracuse men's basketball. How has this wake program changed and evolved from that moment in time till now over the course of the off season and through the first couple months of this regular season?
4: Yeah, I mean, that, that, what a game, what a shot by Davian. I remember watching that game and thinking Syracuse was the better basketball team. I'm not going to lie. Wake was really losing steam at the end of that season when Damari got hurt, um, you know, Ty Appleby was fantastic. He was doing everything he could, but, you know, Wake pulls that game out. And then, you know, from that point on, what happens? Appleby's gone. Williamson's gone. Bobby Clintman, we think is back. He's in Australia now, you know, Forbes does what he does. He goes to the portal. He brings in Hunter Salas. He brings in Boopy Miller. He brings in Efton Reed. And, you know, Wake is still young ish in the scope of college basketball, but, you know it's year four for Forbes, and for a program that was desperately needing energy, you know you got it with Alondas Williams and that team that I'm still mad didn't make the tournament. And you know even the last year's team fell off the like fell off the bubble earlier than we would have liked. You know at least it was still a competitive team. Like you know that got some good wins. We beat Duke. We we won at Wisconsin. Um, They were competitive. And in and this year, it's like, we're sitting on this after re-waver. We're like, do we have our big guy? Do we have our five-star guy that played at LSU in Gonzaga? We haven't really had a good big man in a while. And, you know, we're losing these close games early on in the season at Georgia, you know, which is looking like would have been a really good win. We lose that game by three points. Um, we lose by a small margin to Utah in a game we were up at halftime. And then we lose to an LSU team that's not that good that you guys blew out of the water. Um, but it's like we just struggled to guard LSU, like we were missing that that interior presence. Um, and then we hit our rhythm. You know, we're winning all these games at home against bad teams. Then we start ACC play well. We win a couple home games against Virginia Tech and Miami. We go at Boston College and win. And since then, what's happened? We're two and four, and we've lost four road games. And in each of those road games, it's like it's there, like it's there for the taking. But at the end of the day, like you gotta you gotta go and win that game. And, and we're zero and four in those spots. We turn the ball over twenty times against Florida State. We blow a 10 point lead at halftime at NC State. We blow a 10 point lead at halftime at Pitt. And then at Carolina, we're up one. And then they just completely blow us out of the water in the second half because, I mean, obviously they're a really good team. But, you know. So right now, when you look at this Wake Forest team, you've got Cam Hildreth, who has taken another jump in year three, but then he suffers wrist, wrist injury and he's toughing it out. He's playing as best he can. But, you know, he's not the same player with his wrist. He's got a brace on his wrist. He can't really shoot the ball. He's being he's always been a little bit sped up and sometimes makes out of control plays. And like, that was amplified last night. Boopy Miller was awesome at parts of the season. Like I was starting to think, I'm like, is this dude on Applebee's level? And then, you know, some games he's just, it's just not, it's not, just not an ACC level. Salas has been great. Um, depth is an issue again. So all this to say, we're in the same place we've been the last couple of years. We're a team that's, what's hanging around the bubble. We can win good, we can, we, we can beat good teams, but, at the end of the day, c Forbes is two and twenty-three in Q one games, and it's year four. And this this fan base is is running out of patience. Of when are we going to get back to the tournament? And you know, coming off these two road games that we felt optimistic that we could win, uh, it feels like a must win. I mean, that term is so overused, but I think Wake is expecting to beat the Syracuse team, even though this is a good Syracuse team. Like we've been good at home, so it's like this is a game you're supposed to win.
2: I'm surprised you just skipped over the Florida win. That looks really good now. Florida's beat Kentucky last night. And they're now a top 30 team in Ken Palm. So all in all, even though that was back in December, that's probably Wake's best resume piece right now. But speaking of last night, let's talk about this pit game, because I had some buddies that had money on Wake Forest and were severely disappointed when the second half uh, went through Carlton Carrington looked like it looked like he went nuts. I caught about the last two minutes. I was watching a Purdue Northwestern sue me. It was an overtime and Chris Collins like threw his hands up and got kicked out of of the, of the Boilermaker arena. And it was fantastic. But what happened specifically in the second half against Pitt that caused weight to melt down?
4: quick um, Florida game. Uh, so we beat Florida and Rutgers at home. Uh, those were those were solid wins, and I I I do believe in Florida. Mike Hanglow and their their big man was out for that game, which I think helped us a lot. But uh, you know they were up in that game. We had a really nice second uh, late push in the second half, and you know hopefully hopefully that win holds a lot of juice come come tournament time if we are in that conversation. But uh, you know I guess that slipped from my from my memory just because one it was a long time ago, and two you know the way that. Everyone has been talking about just resumes and just the way the computers work. It's like it didn't – I didn't really cross my mind that that game could push up to Q1, but Florida's really good, and it, and it definitely could. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. But in terms of last night, like, like come on. We're up 10 and a half, and I don't even think we played that well to be up 10 and a half. And then in that second half, um, a lot of offensive rebounds for Pitt, a lot of second-chance opportunities was killer. Um, we had 15 turnovers again, which just killed us on the road. And, and then when you look at Carrington, he puts up a career high 24. He's super talented, like came on strong, wasn't a super uh, high recruit. But then all of a sudden he's a guy that by the end of November, people were saying this kid could be a lottery pick because, you know, he's got talent as a bigger guard, like very silky smooth, um, but he's streaky. He's still a freshman. Like you look at his game log, like he had zero points. And when you guys got went and beat them at Pitt, uh, nine against Duke, four against Miami, like he has disappeared in some games, but. You know, something that we've been talking about at Wake, uh, Carolina, when we play drop coverage and we're dropping our big man off and chasing around a screen, kind of trying to force the guards into tough twos, talented guards can eat that up.
0: And, and
4: he was just making plays. Like some of them were tough shots, but some of them was just like, he's turning a corner and he had four assists in that game too, like 24 points, four assists. Like a talented guard can't eat up that type of coverage. Like Wake has graded out like pretty decently on Ken Palm this year. Uh, I think we we're like 42nd or something uh, defensively in efficiency, but you know he took over that game. Uh, Ish Leggett played really well for them, and at the end of the day, as much as I as great as Hunter Salas is, and like we we're able to play through after reading the post, like you know if we're not getting much from Boobie Miller or Cam Hildreth and and Monsanto not at full strength, like he, he can't guard anyone right now. You know how much juice do we really have? Like this was a reality check for me last night. Of I thought this team had a lot of juices. Like we have multiple guards that can create like. We have a big man we can play through the post. Like we have shooting. Like this kid, Fredrickson, off the bench is an unbelievable shooter as well. Um, but here we are once again. I'm like, do we have enough? And you know, for post games, talking about like we've been grilling it into these guys about taking care of the basketball. And you know, at the end of the day, the coaches can't stop them from turning it over, and they can't go and rebound it and and, and grab tips and stuff. But this is my long winded way of saying, uh. That one slipped away from us because a couple of guards from Pitt made more plays than our guards, and we didn't rebound well enough. And we turned it over.
3: We're talking to Christian O'Jackson, five years with Deacons Daily, went to Wake Forest, is all things Wake Forest, knows it all with Steve Forbes' crew. Christian, I want to ask you about this. You, know, you mentioned some of these close losses over the course of the past month or so, whether it be Pitt earlier in the week. Obviously, North Carolina was a little bit of a different story, but close losses to NC State. Florida State you could chalk that in there as well. In those games where it just hasn't shaken their way, any similarities that you can point to, is it a lack of late game execution? Is it trouble, you know, in the rebounding battle? Like like what is this team's Achilles heel in the games that haven't gone their way up until this point?
4: Yeah, like uh these four ACC games that we've lost on the road, um they've all had different characteristics but at the end of the day when when a team is making a run you know if you're turning the ball over and not getting a good shot like it's gonna keep coming and in that game last night there were chances where we could have you know when a team cuts it from from 12 to 6 if you can go hit a shot like that 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 slows down the crowd like that that calms everybody down you get you get a little bit more of a cushion like a lot of it's situational but at that State game there there are times when offensively i think our guards try a little bit too much to make plays off the bounce and like and it's just it's not consistent enough and when you look at what we've had the last two years like Alandis williams was like he was the guy right it's like he has the ball on these high ball screens like he is making plays he's getting to the rim he's making all these impressive skip passes he's getting to the line like he is the guy then appleby was like not only able to do the same type of thing in ball screens like but he was a fantastic three point shooter he was also a great passer and then this year the reason that i thought our ceiling was higher is it's like we have multiple guards that can create right it's like boobie miller can go for 20 on the road against boston college and it's like Hunter Salas can be this good. Cam Hildreth is, like, all of a sudden, like, can shoot threes, and he's getting the line. He's got great footwork. It's, like, these three guys all have different styles that they can kill you as a guard, and it's, like, okay, that gives us different shades, right? It's, like, oh, who's it going to be this night? Like, we don't need everyone to play well to win. And now it's, like, you know, Hunter Salas is great. He had 22 last night, but, like, he's not that type of, like, playmaker as Alondas and Appleby were. So it's, like, it's, it's like (sighs) – we kind of do need we we need more from Booby we, we can't afford that. Like, and and I don't know how much to give, uh, how much blame to put on Cam Hill' wrist injury of like that he's playing through. Like he could be having surgery and like he could be shut down. And, like he's trying to tough this out. But like, if Booby Miller's not going to show up, like sometimes it's like where's that creation coming from, you know? And this is a guard driven sport, and it's like you guys have Judah Mintz and JJ Starling, Judah Mintz, in my opinion is the best player on the floor tomorrow. It's like as much as I love style us, he's not going to be able to like put the team on his back on a way that Apple and Alondas would. Um, so in these, in these spots, like Florida state was able to just outlength us and like, we score 82 points in that game, but we didn't play well offensively. We turned the ball over 20 times. And it's like NC state, you know, they were just like able to just slowly chip away and get the crowd involved. And it's like, we didn't have that answer. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like all those games were there for the taking and you need your dudes to be dudes at the end of games to like actually make it green instead of red on Ken Palm. And like, that didn't happen. And it's like four straight road games, um, which is frustrating. So um, I hope that answered the question.
2: Well, you gave us a lot, Oge. And to add some context to these names you've been throwing around, Hunter Salas last year at Zaga averaged four and a half points and two rebounds. He came off the bench, for the majority of the year, unless Mark Few, Zags head coach, was really mad at Ryan Nemhard, um, Boopy Miller transfers up from uh, I call it CMU because I'm from Michigan, but for most people, it's Central Michigan. Uh, usually, a very good basketball team, and the MAC is a good basketball conference. Let's not get it twisted, but it's no ACC. And the guys that he's playing against are usually, you know, six one, six two. Not the biggest. And then you have to go run into six foot five Carrington and Blake Hinson, who's built like a house and ish Leggett, who's who's got length as well. And Hildreth last year against Syracuse. I mean, Johnny and I were there in the Greensboro Coliseum like that dude made every play down the stretch. He had, the, I think, like a spinning 270-leaning two, jump shot over I Jesse remember Edwards. that exact
3: play. It was I, ridiculous.
2: I, I, know, I know the exact spot on the floor because I freaked out about it on the air. It, I mean, it was, it was insane how with 11 seconds left, he wanted the ball and wanted to go at Syracuse's center inside and made the play so comfortably. So we know what Hildreth can do if healthy. So what you're telling us is the question is: Can Salas and Boopy Miller, Kevin Miller, if you're looking at a box score, be consistent? No, they can't. But a quick shake of the head is the answer.
4: Nah the sh- the the shake was for you calling him Kevin instead of Boopy.
2: <laughs> okay, I, I looked it up. His name is Boopy because they called his old, like mom's brother Booby, and they just put a P in it. It's not. It doesn't have some exotic elaborate nickname it's it's like wooga poplar there's There's no no there's no great story there it's just it is what it is they just call him that and (laughs) so uh, i mean uh, he's boopy on the inside let's talk about efton reed for a second uh because sometimes when i've watched wake forest play he's been fantastic offensively defensively and sometimes he's just a walking foul machine what does wake need to do to get efton reed to play well
4: yeah so with efton you know you have the five-star pedigree uh the experience like at lsu he's like getting a lot of minutes he's, he's playing a lot
2: but that was will wade lsu
4: gonzaga, he's just right but he goes to gonzaga and mark few just completely benches him. and what's crazy to me is gonzaga lost 82 to 54 to yukon in the tournament and obviously we saw how dominant yukon was but like it, especially on the interior and the fact that after Reed doesn't play until the last two minutes of that game, like is pretty crazy to me because he's a seven footer that can move that like understands basketball and is really talkative on defense, which is something that Forbes loves about him. But like the fact that he didn't even, it, it, it didn't cross Mark few's mind that like, it wasn't part of the game plan at all. Like let's like, what can this guy do for us? Cause,
2: Cause drew Timmy needed to make his NIO money. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. His yeah, yeah. stash. And, and,
4: but, but, who says you couldn't have played those two guys together it's not like they were like oh you like couldn't
2: play together five. I mean it's not Timmy could maybe make one of like eight threes if you put him out there
4: right but just because you're playing a uh a post guy with a five guy doesn't mean that that he has to be playing on the perimeter that's that's neither here nor there the point is like when when Efton Reed came here it's like he's got some juice clearly because of his body and the way he moves and his pedigree but the fact that he didn't play at all at Gonzaga, it's, like, there's kind of questions of, like, why did that happen? And then he comes to Wake and immediately is, is blows Matthew Marsh out of the water because he can, like, not look like, – like, he knows what's going on out there. Like, no disrespect. Like, he just knows basketball more and is, like, capable more out there. Um, And Efton and Reed has, when he stayed out of foul trouble, like, as you mentioned, like, that has been an issue for him. Like, he's brought rim protection. Like, uh, he's brought some passing out of the high posts. I don't want him to take three anymore, but, like, at least, like, he's the guy that will rip one or two a game, which which helps. Four for before. 17 um, from
2: three on the year.
4: Yeah, no. And and I kind of want to show that. They all hit the back rim. Uh, but against Pitt last night, <laughs> we were able to play through him in the post because Fede Federico and Diaz Graham are, like, pretty skinny dudes. They're, like, stretchy, skinny like, Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I, I, I tweeted about this post game. I was like, I think this could be an afternoon read game because – you know he's got good fo- like he's got good footwork and he's got some touch around the rim like so i he's still like missing a layer of just like ability to just finish like sometimes he makes a nice drop step and it's like he just like uses the wrong hand or he's just not physical enough and he doesn't make it but like he had 14 points and was was 7 for 10 for the field uh but he had four turnovers uh he wasn't strong enough with it sometimes he is a guy that i think it adds a nice dimension like when our guards are struggling it's like we can play through the post um and and he's way better than what we've had at center the past couple of years, um. But yeah, he's not. He so he's been a great addition, and and we've been a different team with him for sure, like defensively, and everything. But um, yeah, it's not like he's. There's a lot of really good big men in the ACC. Like it's good to have him uh, to match up against some of those guys, but he's not offensively in the league of like the posts, the halls, the Filipowski's, the big Cuts.
3: Christian, last one on my end. Wake Forest is going to get an angry Judah Mintz this weekend. Syracuse coming off a bad loss to Boston College, a game where Mintz didn't necessarily have his best stuff. He only got to the line two times, which means something was off because that is just not his game. So take me inside the mind of Steve Forbes, I guess, defensively for Wake. We just said moments ago we you agreed he's probably the best player on the court come this weekend. What's the formula to try to slow him down and just disrupt his rhythm?
4: Yeah, I mean, he's really hard to stop. First of all, we want him to come here. So <laughs> there's, that's part of, part of his relationship with Forbes. Uh, second, I think something really interesting about your backcourt is, uh, one, they're younger. Like, they're both sophomores. They're very athletic. They got some size. Um, but neither of them are known for their three-point shooting. But- to say the least. It took a combined 17 threes last game. JJ Starling all of a sudden is ripping it from deep and Judah. I've seen him just over the past few years. Like sometimes if I see him, he's operating and he's kind of open the top of the key or people are going under. I'm like, I'm like, shoot it, Judah. Like, I'm cool with you. I'm cool with you shooting that. Like, I know he doesn't, you know,
2: Then he uh, lines up his line. right shoulder to the rim.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way we've been playing guard, like we've been pretty extreme with drop coverage this year. Um, Like the way that I, I, I had a thread about this the other day of like, the way that Creighton will use Ryan Kalkbrenner, like they'll chase over a screen, they'll drop Kalkbrenner off, and they're like, we're not going to foul you, we're going to stay home on these shooters, and we're going to try to make you take a tough two over the top. Um, that's wh- the way we've been playing these guards, and when I, when I look at Judah Mintz, I'm like, that's a guy that I feel like, I, in my opinion, the best way to guard Judah Mintz is to go under and just try and to to dare him to shoot not that he can't shoot but it's like it's better than him getting downhill because he is amazing when he gets to the rim and like he gets to the line uh just like the way he's able to finish um so if we're going to drop like he's got a lot of space to make plays like that that's what it's like elliot cadeau is the same kind of player that it's like he's trying to get to the rim he's not really trying to to, to pull up off his dribble, and it's like, he's getting all the way to the rim against this drop coverage. RJ Davis did whatever he wanted, and Bob Carrington has the best game of his year. So, like, these guards that are, that are talented in these last couple games have killed us because the way that we guard these ball screens, it's like, they're able to, they have space to make plays. You know what I'm saying? And It's like, the goal of that is to force them into taking tough twos, but we haven't been effective enough at that to make them do that. Like, and it's like against NC State, like DJ Horn's like, we're forcing him to all these floaters. And like, he has a really good float game. He hit like four of them, and it's like, it's like, that's a shot. It's like, all right, fine. If we're going to lose because DJ Horn is just drilling floaters, it's like, then, you know, hats off to DJ Horn. And it's like, Forbes' whole game plan has been like, let's make these guards force tough twos. Like, let's try not to foul. Let's not give up the three. And it hasn't been working lately. And I don't think we're going to just throw a different coverage at Syracuse all of a sudden. uh You know, we don't want have Reed to get into foul trouble. So we have to go to Zach Keller and Matthew Marsh and like throw out hard hedges and switches and stuff. So like, at the end of the day, Mince is going to have space to, like, make plays. And to me, that is a recipe kind of for a disaster. So it's like try to force him to take as many jump shots as possible. But, like, I have a tough time thinking that we're going to be able to just, you know, stop him from getting downhill based on what these, these other guards have been able to do to us lately.
2: Well, we'll see if Judah can rebound from only two free throws and 18 points on 16 shots on Tuesday. But a Wake team that can certainly fill it up, averaging almost 80 points a game, and the only team in the ACC with two players in the top 10 in scoring, four of them averaging over 14 a game. Should be a great one Saturday night. Tip is at 745 down in Winston-Salem. Oge, thanks for joining us and giving us some insight on the Demon Deeks.
4: Yeah, of course. Wait, are we not going to talk about Syracuse? I, I want to. No, we don't have
2: Syracuse. to talk about Syracuse. We just yapped we, about, we Syracuse talking, about Syracuse for thirty minutes. we talking about can Syracuse. Can I say my quick Syracuse thing? I've already said. Say, a say your spiel. Say your spiel.
4: I love Kadir Copeland and Malik Brown. I know that they're. I guess they're. I guess they count as Bayheim recruits. Like I just remember last year, though, I'm like these two dudes are winning players. You know, they do they do the dirty work. They do them grow into their own, and at the end of the day. Uh, Syracuse has this pedigree of exp- in your fan base of, like, you expect to be in the tournament every year. It's a little bit of a transition year, of course, with the coaching, but not only that, of, like, playing man defense. And, and the defense has been good this year. But I don't know. I think you guys are really building something. I know there's, like, a little drama with Benny Williams. Like, I, I haven't followed that super closely. I just feel like there's something always going on with him. But you've got a lot of talent, and these guys are young. And I don't know if Judah's ready to, to go to the league yet, but, like, I, I think – Autry's, like done a really good job, and you one, and you guys are building something. And if, if these guys can stay, that uh Syracuse is trending upwards, trending back where they belong. So that's that's my Syracuse. Feel. Moving, and to, moving in the center. Center.
2: and Kyle Ball. Cuff
4: shouldn't see the floor.
3: <laughs> orange fans are thankful he hasn't a ton as of recently.
2: So yeah, because he's another one of those guards that can't shoot. Christian O'Jackson sounding off on the orange, and that's where we sign off today. Follow him on Twitter at Oge Oops. And read all his stuff. The Deacon Digest. Johnny Gdamwitz is at Johnny Gwitz. I'm an i i u n z y underscore. And drop the field of 68 to follow for After Dark, the DTF podcast, Doster and To and Fanta with all your latest basketball news. Also Goodman and Hubble, the Mid Major Show, Fielding the 68, the Bracket Show, which is now out once or twice a week. Everything you need to know as we get down the stretch of the college basketball season is on the Field of 68 and the Field of 68 podcast network. Hope you have a great weekend. Tip at 745 Saturday night. Enjoy it. We'll be back Monday to recap the action.